Welcome to the Enneagram Journey with the Enneagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and I'm going to be sitting in on today's conversation. And there are just times when I walk around and that song is really buried in my head, and today is one of those days. Uh, today's episode is with Craig Nash, an Enneagram 6, counterphobic, and one of the things they discuss is the whole counterphobic-phobic continuum. Uh, how did Craig figure out his number? And I like that he shared the Jason Isbell lyric that is the anthem for all sixes. Craig and I are both introverts, and Suzanne, being the extrovert of extroverts, we got to have some fun talking about the time of peace or sign of peace. I'm still not really sure what it's called at church, and how introverts and extroverts handle that. And there's a lot of meat in today's episode. So just as a quick reminder that Enneagram Sixes are part of the head triad with fives and sevens, the dependent stance with ones and twos. They go to three in stress, nine in security, and their orientation to time is the present. And the dominant and repressed centers of intelligence for six are both thinking. So if you want to hear more about that and dive deeper into how can threes be dominant and repressed in feeling, sixes in thinking, and nines in doing, then please come and join us in Dallas for a live podcast panel with Suzanne and six guests and of course, I'll be in there mucking it up as well to discuss that and all other things Enneagram. The next day is the Enneagram for Mantras and Relationships with Suzanne Stabile. So make a weekend of it. That's October 18th and 19th in Dallas. And you can find all the information for that on the lifeinthetrinityministry.com website. I'm sure we can also get a link put up at suzannestabile.com and enneagramjourney.org. That we have a six on. Me too. People keep hounding. I'm going to say it. Hounding. Mm-hmm. If you know Suzanne's going around telling people that six, sixes are half of the world, then why aren't there more sixes on your podcast? And I'm going to let Craig explain his thought process of how how this came to be. Yeah. So what I didn't tell you was um, I haven't really listened to the podcast a lot until mm-hmm. recently. In the last two or three weeks, I started kind of binging it. I had a little bit more free time. My, my summers are my really busy season. And then once they come to an end, I kind of have a little bit of free time. So I've been spending a lot of time listening to the podcast. In fact, I think I might have, when you called, what is it, Wednesday, I think it was Monday, um, I was on the elliptical machine listening to a podcast. Nice. <laughs> and uh saw the phone phone number and then you left the message and then we we talked and i'm counterphobic so there was not a chance i was not going to do this mm-hmm. joel said a lot of the sixes don't want to do it no. that we're, we're asking sixes yeah and they're saying and sixes that we know and love yeah know and love and they're saying not a chance it's not, and that is it's literally not a chance not let me think about it not yeah. it is there's no way i'm coming on the podcast right and and I have noticed that there's not a lot of sixes, although you talk about a lot of six stuff in the other, yeah. you know, thing. I'm also friends with Heather Mustaine, Heather yeah. and Chad, yeah. and yeah. I went to seminary together, and hers was great. And um, But anyway, so I'm counterphobic, and uh, so there was not a chance I was not going to do it. Joel gave me a date that um, we have a time, I think it's like a month out, mm-hmm. but we also had a s- slot open today. Mm-hmm. Um so for me, there was a choice of I'm either going to obsess about this for a month oh. or obsess about it for a day. I'm going to pick the day yeah. and get it out, you know, get it over with. It's interesting because I'm so glad to have you in the cohort because you are very thoughtful 
and um, and maybe it's because we're together for three days. It would be interesting to, for you to watch yourself and let me know if you're more inclined to speak up or talk in day two and day three or the second half of day two and day three than you are day one because it historically has been true that sixes just don't want to speak up in real time. They want to think things through. And that's one of the reasons I don't want a one-day cohort. I don't want a two-day boot camp. Like, I want people to be with me for a while so that they can figure out what they want to say and what they want to know. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think in smaller groups, I'm more likely to speak up. But I'm also very aware that as a six... I knew this about myself before I knew I was a six. I talk as my thinking is happening. And so I give a lot of context, you know, in order to tell a thought, I have to tell the thought that precipitated that thought, that thought, and that thought, and that thought. In a room of 35, 40 people, I'm kind of aware, um, okay, I could, I could get the, uh, the hook from the stage from you if I, if I kept, if Uh I started talking, uh you know, Uh Um, and so not wanting that moment, <laughs> I probably wait a little bit longer. Let's um, introduce you by you telling what you do, kind of what you think about what you do and how you feel about that. I'm intrigued. And a, a little bit of background so that they can uh, imagine you and who you are and how you spend your days. And then I'm going to start asking you questions. Yeah. So for a job, I work for the Texas Hunger Initiative, which is a nonprofit uh, housed within Baylor University. Uh, We're situated within the School of Social Work, um, and we have a lot of kind of cross-pollination with social workers, researchers, uh, practitioners um, in the area of hunger and poverty alleviation. I've been there for almost four years. Um, Took the job because I really, I was in a place in life where I was kind of at a crossroads and I really wanted to stay in Waco with my community. There was a couple of months there where I was unemployed and then the opportunity came up and uh, I I jumped on it. My work, we are a uh, kind of fancy word, non-profity word. We're a collaborative capacity building organization, which just means we don't really do direct service, Mm -hmm. um, but we work with organizations that do do direct service. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for example, we do a lot of work in the child hunger space Mm -hmm. um, with federal and and, uh, other child nutrition programs that are operated by school districts, by nonprofits, by churches. What we found is that most of the organizations who do that sort of work know how to operate a food service program, but they don't really know their community very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are others in the community like churches and, and individuals and groups of people who really want to find a way to serve, but they don't have the expertise in this area. So we kind of act as a, uh, we, we create a table f- to bring them together. We become experts in kind of the areas that other people just don't have the time to be an expert in, such as data. Uh, regulations for nutrition programs. Um, That's kind of a component of what I do. I'm a little bit of a generalist. A friend of mine called last week and asked me a question. She was, uh, worked for the, works for the YMCA Mm -hmm. and they need, they need bus drivers. 
Uh, so she called me, uh, and then I, and I gave her several suggestions, mm-hmm. and she said, "This is why I, why I called you. I was telling my coworker you're like the Yellow Pages for Waco." Yeah. I don't know how the order things are going to air. We just had a conversation with Sean Palmer, who's a three, who is a a coach that advises people. I mean, any any number can have any job. He had a three job. Mm-hmm. And you have a six job. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's fascinating that the, that you chose community over job. That's a very six thing to do. It's a very courageous thing to do for a six, though. It, it's costly. And I think sometimes when, when I teach that sixes are uh, the most concerned about the common good, I think people hear that as lovely but not costly. Hmm. And it costs a lot to work in social services. It costs a lot for a six to choose community over job and to be without a job in that choosing. You're in the perfect Enneagram space for what you're called to do. And you have the collaborative gifts innately to do it, which is really, really lovely. I uh, ache for sixes who are in a job that they don't like and that doesn't support their way of seeing, and I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, you said that you're counterphobic, and I, I've, I have a new thing. I've had a little time to think, and I got some new things. But I decided that I'm going to start talking to sixes about phobic and counterphobic as a continuum instead of a choice. So I, I wonder if there are sixes who literally fall at one extreme or the other, or if all sixes are on a continuum somewhere between phobic and counterphobic. What do you think about that theory, and where do you find yourself? I think there's a lot there. Um, I think that... The, there could also be a first half of life, second half of life type thing there oh. um, in the same way that you teach for wings. Because um, I look back at younger, at the younger me and I was far more phobic. Interestingly, I was also far more social, but, but I was more careful in social situations, I think. And, and I also think it's situational. Uh, at this point in my life, and I think at this point in our world, I have become very counterphobic. So if it's, you know, one to ten, I'm probably eight or nine. Okay. Yeah. And could I suggest that without sixes who are nines, who are at an eight or a mm-hmm. nine, the children aren't going to get fed? Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. I'm, I'm um, mindful when I travel that I see pockets of poverty that, somehow Dallas hides. Yeah. You know, I used to be a social worker. Oh, I didn't know that. I, yeah, I worked with the elderly poor. And that's a that's quite a group. Yep. And uh, they're mostly angry. Right. But you, it's always behind brick. And often behind houses that are nice. Yeah. Um, it's a little, uh, so in a town the size of Waco, it's a little harder to hide. Mm-hmm. I lived in Dallas for a year and actually lived in a, in a what was then a very uh, poor area, uh-huh. uh, Meadow Road. In Waco, it is, well, two kind of things. There's 
um, a lot of neighborhoods where it's a one block of extreme wealth and then one block of extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. And then there's also kind of a historic dividing line, uh, which for Waco, you know, every city has it. For Waco, it's the river. Everything on one side of the river mm-hmm. was was redlined, and so it's a, it's a little harder uh, to hide. But but I think in general, uh, to speak to that kind of phenomenon, people make assumptions about poverty mm-hmm. um, and what it looks like that is rarely the case. Well, now that's another very interesting six thing because sixes don't make assumptions. Right. When you have an assumption, do you just follow it until you get the answers? Well, let me rephrase that. Do you just never assume or do you have an assumption, but you don't allow it to take root until you've checked it out to see if it's correct? I I assume quite a bit, but mostly based on experience or for a six based on chaining. You know, uh-huh. if, I, if I've uh-huh. seen a pattern in people or institutions, um, then I'll assume the people who are a part of that institution are a certain way. Um, but I'm also very open to be surprised. I mean, for my assumptions, there's not a lot that I make assumptions about. Yeah. But for this particular subject, there are, you know, some things. I think one, um, maybe a story that will kind of help give light to that. I, I was, uh, one of the things I do among many during the summer is, recruit volunteers for a particular meal site at a public housing unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a two or three week period of time where I was having a hard time getting volunteers. So I actually just went and uh, gathered kids and took them to the, to the place of the meal site. And there was this one family of kids, uh, little, little kids, an eight year old, a six year old and a four year old. They were all together and, you know, living in public housing and this was about 1130 and they just woken up and I asked them why they just woke up and they said, well, we just went to bed at three o'clock or three or four mm-hmm. o'clock. And, you know, a lot of assumptions can be made about that. And, and in my mind, I was thinking of other people's assumptions that they might make about right. that. So I started to ask the kids questions and found out that they're between their mom and their dad, there's four or five jobs going on. And one of their dad's jobs is he delivers newspapers Mm -hmm. and he leaves at three o'clock, but he doesn't get back from his other job, you know, like nine o'clock in the evening. So Mm -hmm. there's like a period from nine to three. That's the only time that these kids have with their dad. And so they told me, we want to wait till he leaves. There you go. And And you know, that is not the assumption that people make. Right, right. And in that moment, that's where my counterphobia came up and I wanted to go shout to the rooftops. This is what poverty is, not what you're seeing on your social media feeds or what you're hearing from certain people. Right. Would you say that you as a two make a lot of assumptions? Um, I ask because of the three stances, again, off the top of my head, we haven't never talked about this before or heard you talk about it. Mm -hmm. I would think that stance makes the least amount of, of assumptions. Yeah, I, I, my answer was going to be, mm, yeah, but I'm usually right. <laughs> and I mean, that's an honest answer. Yes, I do make assumptions, and if I follow it, it I'm usually right. This has helped me think through your question a little bit, and and maybe it's not that I make assumptions, but I come to what I think is a good conclusion based on a lot of 
processing. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's what the what that stands with with verbal processing. Mm-hmm. It it is a process. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, the jump to conclusions, Matt. It you don't. I don't think ones, twos, and sixes just jump to a conclusion. Yeah. And I th- think that the other two stances do more often. Yeah, but there's what I might call an assumption. There's been a lot of work to get to that. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's an informed assumption. Yeah. I think we may have coined that just now, but right. I'm, we're going to go with it. Yeah. Talking about counter, I just wanted to throw in two cents about counterphobic six. For the longest time, we all thought that I had a, a big eight wing as a seven. And that was from the outside looking in my whole family, uh, given that perspective. And as I started doing some anagram work and thinking and actually processing the past, I realized that. I've always it historically had a big counterphobic six wing, not eight wing. And so whenever I'd make decisions, fear-based decisions from seven, that counterphobic six wing was like, do it. Yeah. Whatever, just just do band-aid. it now before before something else happens, before anything before you can change your mind, before something else comes up, just do it. Yeah. I I was thinking of my counterphobia driving here, um, because just about ninety nine percent of I thirty five now between Texas and Mexico is being uh, destroyed. And there's a lot of opportunities to either wait or to put your foot on the gas and get around the mm-hmm. big truck that's, you know, there's no mm-hmm. um, no barriers. Uh, and I'm at a place to where I'm just pedal to the metal. Oh, interesting. Yep. Interesting. What do you think is the difference, our differences between counterphobic sixes and eights? I mean, kind of the cliche is, uh, you know, our um, frenzy is about fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, eights is about what they perceive as either justice or our rightness, I suppose. And the other thing, and I think this is true for the eights that I'm close with, you know, we have a lot of the same kind of tendencies after we have either, you know, exploded over something or, you know, put her foot down or over something, uh, an eight will forget about it mm-hmm. for, you know, it, it's done. Over. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that probably has to do with orientation to time. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm physically still feeling that for a little while. Mm-hmm. So as two people, we've changed now. We did a podcast earlier where it was two aggressive numbers and one dependent, but now... It's two dependent numbers and one aggressive. I can I can stand on my own. I'm, I'm sure you can. <laughs> yeah. What do you think makes aggressive numbers impatient with dependent numbers? I feel like I I keep going back to this, and it's easy to it's easy to do, and I think it's right, <laughs> and it's orientation to time. We when we're talking, I started drawing out a. I was like, I'm curious about this. I just point A and point B in mm-hmm. a line. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sevens, I think their focus is on point B. Mm-hmm. Threes is on the line. The it's, it's still in the future, but it's, all right, we're, go, we're on the line focusing on this. And eights is a combination of the mm-hmm. two. And sixes are focused on, they're still on A. And ones and twos are still on A. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to be on A for a while. I know. And we're yeah. already on, all three of these other numbers are already on the line going. 
And it's like, no, 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 we're not ready to start this yet. You know, it's interesting. I don't know what you think about that, but one of the things that I keep thinking to myself is they think faster than I do. Yeah. In, in professional and ministry settings and, you know, friend group settings, uh-huh. my, I think the mantra of my life has been this fear that I'm being left behind. Oh, which is different than fear of missing out. Yes. Yes. That's subtle. Yeah. Well, and you say they think faster than you do, like we talked about a minute ago, or they just don't think as, as much. When y'all are thinking and processing, it's a, the assumption has been made, the jump to conclusion, the start has begun. I think it's thinking while doing, and ones, twos, and sixes think before, before doing. doing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And we want everyone else, because we probably intuitively know that aggressive people have not put that thought in, and we're afraid you're going to take us to a place that's, well, for a six, not safe. That's interesting, because for me, I think you're going to take me to a place where I'm not going to know how to be there. Hmm. Like, I, I think it's probably safe, but I'm, I'm not going to know where to stand. That's yeah. one of my things is I don't know, I don't know where to stand here. Hmm. Uh, what are you afraid of? Um, wait, I don't want to say that that way because it was very kind of offhand. No, <laughs> no. So can, can Damn I tell it, a Craig, story? What are you afraid of? Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this, the story of how I discovered my number, yeah? I'd love to tell that if, that, I'd if love that's to. okay. Love because, for you too. Because it was a... I discovered it fairly quickly, but then it it took me years to flesh it out. And part of me really doing like realizing the Enneagram was something, oh, I really need to to put more work into was when someone asked me that question. So um, at our church, shortly after you had been doing some things at Baylor, you know, the Enneagram kind of started seeping through the the walls of of Waco. Yeah. Um, and so we, uh, had a lot of folks in our community who who had gone to teachings and cohorts and things that you had done. And so, um, like a lot of things in the past, it kind of became a thing. Myers-Briggs, yeah. Berkman, all, all these other things. So um, so we did the all did the absolute best thing to do, and we got online and took a test. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, and uh, as is a common story, I, I be, uh, tested as a nine. Mm-hmm. I read it, and I thought, well, it kind of makes sense. Um but then I just kind of forgot it and didn't think about it much more. Then a, a little time later, I was on staff of our, at our church, and uh, we had an office administrator who was doing a little more deep dive in, into the Enneagram, and she was reading Rohr's book, uh, Christian Perspective book. Mm-hmm. And from her office, our offices were right next to each other, she called out and said, Craig, are you sure you're a nine? And I just said, well, I took the test, so Sure. Um, so she very gently, uh, walked in and handed me the book and and she gave me three or four numbers to read. She said, read these in no particular order, which I think was really wise of her. And I, I believe she gave me one, six, eight, and nine Mm -hmm. to read. And I just kind of decided I was going to read the sixth one first. So I read it after the first page, I kind of said pretty quietly, but, uh, loud enough to where she could hear in the other office. I'm a six. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it was just a couple of paragraphs, but it was, he probably led, I don't remember much about what it said, but I think he led with all the good stuff. Yeah. The loyalty, the, how we're always there, how we're thoughtful. Right. And so I was like, well, that's great. I'm a six. I'm loyal. The loyalist I think is 
kind of what what um, caught because that definitely defines me. And then it was maybe six or eight months later, um, I was in town doing something and uh, ran across, a, a, I think, a mutual friend of ours. And we just started talking about the Enneagram and he, he asked me what I was. I said a six. And he said, not flippantly, but in a way that surprised me, what are, what are you afraid of? I got very defensive at that because I hadn't read about all the fear, mm-hmm. anxiety, mm-hmm. Part of six. Did I miss? Did, did you know what his number was? Uh, I, he's a nine. He's a nine. Yeah. And by the way, that was a good way of me getting out of telling you what I'm afraid of. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm right, coming right back to it. But the thing I, that I think is very interesting about that is that what are you afraid of would be a question that would make a counterphobic six angry mm-hmm. and a phobic six would say so many yeah. things yeah. and hope that you would listen. Yeah. I know your intention and this guy's intention was not um, malicious or anything right, just because right. I, I know y'all. But when you said that, I felt that in my gut that anytime someone will ask a personal question like that. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe because I don't know what the answer is. There you go. Um, it's really, I get defensive mm-hmm. because if I think if, if I maybe try to put myself on a phobic stance, I probably would say, Nothing a lot, but everything a little. Like I'm afraid of everything a little, little bit. Um, oh, that's good. That's so good. I um, So I listening to this coming up here, one of my uh, favorite singers is a guy named Jason Isbell. I don't know if you've yeah, heard yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. He has a song called Anxiety off of one of his latest albums. And I didn't, I, I, I didn't give it much listening when it first came out, but... Lately, I've listened to it and I've realized this is the Six's anthem. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lyric in the middle of the song, uh, and this speaks a little bit to the feeling left behind, uh, where he's describing anxiety, and he said, it's the, um, it's the weight of the world, but it's nothing at all. I feel light as a prayer, and then I fall. And then, and then there's a big stop in the song. It says, you got to give me a minute because I'm way down in it. <laughs> um, and then it goes goes on more. But I think that whole, it's the weight of the world, but nothing at all. Like once you reflect on it, I realize I don't know that I can say what I'm afraid of because there's not a lot of texture to it. The last few days when we were out of town, we were talking a lot with somebody else about sixes. They had a lot of questions. They were kind of working on a project, if you will. And one of the things that we've pointed out is that sixes seem to have the hardest time identifying their number mm-hmm. and the greatest number of, of misidentifying mm-hmm. themselves. And I'm curious. I do think those two things are fast. Yeah, I, I think so too. I just didn't want to. Yeah. I know. And I, I said, I shared over that weekend that I think it's because six is more than other numbers when they read about the anxiety or the setbacks of the unhealthier mm-hmm. possibilities of sixes say that's everyone. So this isn't me. This is, yeah. mm-hmm. this is everybody. Had I read another chapter first, mm-hmm. I might would have gone with a one yeah, that's well, me. or an eight. Yeah. Or, right. Yeah. So then when you talk about reading the, the loyalists and the positive aspects, mm-hmm. I don't think the other numbers would be like, that's me. No. And yeah. so I think there is something to sixes. I, 
being I mean, just when from a know your numbers standpoint, other numbers see the setbacks a lot easier that stand stand out. Like right. the things that I don't do well or right as a seven mm-hmm. and that I need to work on mm-hmm. are obviously not the things that other people have. And the good things kind of everyone loves having some fun. And I think that's the only number that it's kind of reversed like that. I do think that's true, but I, and I also think it's because there are more of them. So you, you meet you a lot every day. Mm -hmm. I, uh, as a social worker met me a lot every day as a college basketball coach, not ever, Hmm. not ever. And as a public speaker, very rarely. Right. Yeah. And, and I think there is this communal sense of who we are. We're holding together all the institutions. We're taking care of the poor. We're doing the right things for the community. We have our eyes on what could happen that can hurt all of us. It, there is a collaborative collection of you that I don't think other numbers experience. Do you think that's true? Do you all think that's true? Yeah, I think maybe it's interesting that I, I remember the, the Roar chapter started out with all the good stuff. Later, I uh, found a YouTube clip of him teaching about counterphobic sixes, and it was all about Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> how Hitler was, I wonder so, how that would have gone if so you had opened I, up with yeah, that. Yeah, had yeah. I watched that before I read the really good things about being a buddy and a loyalist and, and you know, mm-hmm. Um, all of that, it would have taken me a lot longer. So I may be the anomaly in that I relatively quickly figured out what I am. All right, this is a semi-easy segue to a question that I had. So in his chapter, he called it the loyalist, and that's what most people would like the nickname for sixes to be. Mm-hmm. Sixes. Yeah. Another one of the terms is the devil's advocate, mm-hmm. and people tend to hate that. Mom, you have, you have found out. What is your yeah, opinion? I've around heard you that? say that, and um, there's a couple of things you've said um, in cohort that I have not resonated with, and that's that's one of them. The devil's advocate. The devil's advocate. I kind of like that. I don't think I knew that's what I was until after a lot of years of people kind of rolling their eyes after in a moment that gave an opportunity for me to be the devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, and maybe this is me going into three, I feel a little special for being mm-hmm. the devil's advocate and feel a little ad- admired for that. The other thing is about uh, sixes and in the news. Uh-huh. Um, you said sixes don't watch n- mm-hmm. news. I think that may be a phobic six thing. Agreed. Uh, for counter phobic sixes, I need, I need to know what's out there. Yeah. Whether it's actually out there or not, I sure. need to know, know what, what the people there is are saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm gratified that you are feeling kind of good about the devil's advocate because the reason I won't give in yet to naming sixes loyalists is because I'm afraid if sixes don't see themselves as yes but people, they'll stop saying yes but. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that they will be loyal to people they don't agree with rather than question people they mm-hmm. don't agree with. And I, I don't think very many people are taking the time to think about what you just said and then be able to say, yeah, but what about this? Mm-hmm. 
it seems like we're just moving so fast that we're losing that. And I, if I could rename the devil's advocate, because I don't particularly like that. Yeah. I kind of played around for a new project I'm working on with yes, but people. Mm. That doesn't work. But when I say loyalist, I think it makes less of you, not more of you. Yeah, I, I think, too, loyalist is true for probably most or all of sixes, but it's kind of a byproduct of all the other stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe it's a, it's a tool we use to get security. Uh-huh. Other people kind of, def- it's what we are defined by when other people see us. Oh, they stick with their friends. They stick with their institutions. That's who they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to belittle that also. Me either. But at the same time, it's also a tool to to keep us safe. You know, I think a lot about when I was younger, I think I said I was a lot more social. And I look back, because I'm very introverted now, and I look back then and I think, you know, why was I so what I'll label extroverted? And I don't think it was that I was extroverted. It was... I was building my castle around me mm-hmm. of relationships and institutions. I was doing a project to keep myself safe. And the and one of the things I used was loyalty. You said that being a loyalist is a byproduct of everything else. I think that's put perfectly. And I think that devil's advocate is the gift. Hmm. Like there I'm I don't I'm not a yes but person. Most people are not. Let's look at the other side of this. Right. And that's a, a gift that sixes bring. Yeah, I, I've only recently, probably since I started the cohort, I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, and probably this corresponds to their number in the cohort, have those moments where they get really angry. Are they like, oh my goodness, or mm-hmm. because you have said something that they reflect on and it just clicks and, you know, there's shame or mm-hmm. remorse or, mm-hmm. or I'm seen or, or whatever. For me, I, it's only later in particular moments where well outside of this room where something will happen. And that for me, that's when it's, Oh, and one of those happened recently and it was a devil's advocate moment. And I'll try to leave out a lot of details, um, be as vague as possible. But in my organization, we were working with another organization, uh, to try to empower them, uh, to do what they do, uh, better. Mm -hmm. And we were giving them some tools and, um, we were kind of in a strategy session just with our, our team uh, about us empowering this other organization. And I brought up something that was kind of a catastrophic, but what if we do this and then this happens? Mm-hmm. And it was only when I saw the looks on everyone's faces mm-hmm. that a lot of things you've said in this room clicked mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Because I was saying something that, I assume was the most obvious thing in the room. Mm -hmm. And I realized, and I think I was the only six in the room Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for, for me in that moment, the devil's advocate was, I realized I was unique in, in that, that other people aren't asking these same questions. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons they're not asking those questions is because their concern is not the common good. Right. A lot of those devil's advocate questions come from, but what about everybody else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how that'll affect us. Yeah. But what about everybody else? Yeah. I found when I was on church staff, I was 
in those moments a lot of what about everyone else? Um, and they're uncomfortable, as I'm sure you're all <laughs> yeah, you're aware yeah, of. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, and I want to point out to everybody that you have driven from Waco to Dallas, which is an hour and a half for me. Yeah. You are an introvert. You're a six on the Enneagram. And you did all of that as who you are to do this. That commands respect. Thank you. Because it's outside your comfort zone. One of the things that I observe in you, however, in our cohort with 42 people, is that you don't appear to be an introvert. You appear to be a thinker. Yeah. And I wonder how many times the fact that you're an introvert is missed because of your thoughtful contributions and questions. Yeah. I would think a lot. A lot. Uh, yeah, people are, sh I, and this is kind of a common thing among a lot of introverts who, who love people, mm -hmm. um, is there's an assumption that, oh, you're, you're not an introvert, yeah, but, you know, but my friends know it. Yeah. Uh, they know the ghosting that I do in parties yeah. <laughs> when I've, yeah. you know, uh, when I'm done, you know, I, people um, are surprised here that I'm an introvert. Yeah. Joel's I, an introvert. Joe's an introvert. Yeah. I don't, I'm not surprised when I hear anybody's an introvert because of the surprise that people have for, for me. Were you surprised to hear that I'm an extrovert? <laughs> Shocked. <laughs> uh, so one of the things I do in these, uh, in the cohort meetings, I probably won't do it in this next one, uh, because we're in the middle of August. Um, but I walk out there like the first, yeah. like right when you say, go take a break, break, you're gone. I, I leave. Yeah along with the other introverts <laughs> and we kind of have an unspoken, uh, one of them will sit over here. One of us will walk over <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so great. Nod to each other. And so, so yeah, one, if you observe me, you'll see the things I do to, to, to pull away. And I also live alone uh -huh. and I get off of work at four thirty or five and I go home and I'm there and I go, days without aside from work and uh -huh. other responsibilities. I, but I also live in a neighborhood with close friends uh -huh. like back behind me, uh, common friends that we have. The block I live in is interesting because it's not people that I'm close with. I live in a, in a, on a street that is a lot of immigrants. Uh, -huh. uh a lot of them, uh, their English proficient proficiency isn't really that great, uh -huh. but we have a really close bond and it's great because it's a lot of waving uh -huh. and a lot of, how are you? But there's, but we retreat to our houses. And then when I walk my dog, I'll go back on our, on the back street where I have more friends, uh, who live there and maybe I'll run into them. Maybe I want. So I have a lot of margin in my life so that when I'm in a social space people mm -hmm. assume i'm not as extroverted as you but right. certainly think that i'm extroverted is there anything worse during a church service than the time of peace or whatever that's called yeah, uh, yeah. it's baptist, called the sign of peace right oh. in baptist it's life not, we just call it the time we, we yeah. call it the greeting time and oh. you know i'm a part of a church who um we have a lot of introverts and a lot of fours and fives um and it's kind of an emerging type church. We don't use that language anymore, but I know you recently visited sure. with Brian, who was very influential in the life of our church. 
I actually sit in the back corner in about the darkest place mm-hmm. that I've actually labeled the introverts corner. Uh-huh. Um, and every now and then I will, you know, say hi to some people during that greeting time that I don't recognize and say, welcome to our introverts corner. And there's always a sigh of relief that they are seeing that, that I know that, that are, that they know that I know this is why we're all sitting here. There you go. There's another side of the church full of people that I love and I do life with, but I, the frenzy of the crowd, I just can't do very often. The sign of peace should just be head nods and waves. Just so the two of you know, I'm very uncomfortable too with the sign of peace. Really? Because it's so limited. Yeah. So my, (laughs) right? So my inclination is it makes me very uncomfortable to have a, a prescribed line the peace of God be with you, or peace be with you. Th- that to me, I, I, it it feels like a vat of emptiness that has zero potential. Well, in rural Baptist life, which is my where I grew up, you would thrive during that moment because yes. it's not the sign of peace. It's called the greeting time, or maybe the fellowship time, and sometimes it will last three or four or five minutes, and it, there's no prescribed. It's Hey, greet greet your neighbor. Tell them something that you know happened this week or right. something. And Just so happens. it's like a fellowship time. Yeah, I feel like yeah. when we were in Grand Prairie, the Reverend let it go for. I remember people walking around. Yeah, yeah. I think they gave enough time for like the choir right. to come down. Oh yeah, the, yeah. There was. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that as well. I miss these days because I have a sibling like Jenny. I think she's pretty introverted as well. Totally. And so she and I, hey, lock hands, lock eyes. Do not break yeah. this conversation yeah. for the next, oh, until the organ starts over. playing. I've actually had these conversations with people in my introverts corner mm-hmm. and told them if we just keep talking to we each other, we look out for each other. We yeah. can just kind of mumble along, and people are going to think we're in a really good conversation here, and they won't come over here. And see, now I've got this rule-following wife <laughs> who I don't, she won't she won't give me that. We're at church; it's time for that, and it's she's like, "You need that. to." He has instructed us to talk to the people around us. Yeah. That is what I'm going to do. When people address me, I'm going to ignore you and talk to these people. Well, and for me, I really, uh, so I resonate a lot with the liturgical life of Methodism and Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so for me, the passing of the peace is very special holy moment because it's something you can do repeatedly and, mm-hmm. it, and it gathers meaning over time. Mm-hmm. And it's boundaried. And it's boundaried, mm-hmm. yeah. You want to know a great little trick, too? And I know, I don't know how you'll pull this off, but having a baby is <laughs> yeah. a good way to well, get I, some introversion. I hold a lot of babies in our church. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Like, I'll eat whenever... But a lot of times that will attract people. But they're attracted to the baby and not that's you. That's right. Oh, that's good. And, yeah. and you can leave with the baby. The baby is a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of this party. I got I, they're restful. Tired of people around. I gotta lay down. Used <laughs> to just disappear. Yeah, it's so great. I think people take sixes for granted. Do you? Yeah, I often think that, and this might be moving into nine a little bit, but that I could go for a week and people not really notice. And I know that's different than being taken for granted. But I don't know that it is. Yeah, I I assume. You know, the the threes and the eights in my life, people are often thinking about, and that's great, and I love to think about the threes and the eights in my life. I think people like me. Uh, people who love me love me. <laughs> but I kind of like people not, or thinking that people aren't thinking about me. 
all the time. That's very yeah. interesting. It's interesting because I, I also am aware that sevens might not use the language I feel taken for granted, but it doesn't occur to people to check on sevens, mm. and it hurts when nobody does. Yeah. A lot of things that you shared uh, relate to pretty strongly, and I think it's being part of that five, six, seven triad. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, I think fives are agreeing yeah. with a lot of things that we're saying. and Maybe and I, more so. Yeah. yeah. The fives that and I know. Because I, I would say the same thing, that I don't need to be, people that we're in really like, oh, I've been thinking about you a lot. It's like, that's interesting. Why? Yeah. And, yeah. And I think fives would say the same. Yeah. Fives would probably also believe it less than we would. <laughs> right. I would guess. Right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you have. What is it that you need? Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of sixes are social, but not personal. And, and by that, I mean, not moderately or deeply personal. The thing I find with sixes is they have all kinds of patience for hearing about, I went to the Mississippi Book Festival mm -hmm. and it was really hot, but it was great. And there were all these people there that we didn't expect. And there were all these authors and it was so fun. I'd never been to one. Like you're looking at me, mm -hmm. listening and nodding your head. And most people do not have time for that. And so that's personal, mm -hmm. but it's not deeply personal, right? Yeah. I, I reserve deeply personal things for a very small, well, and even that sort of thing, I think, for a, for a very small Even group Mississippi of Book Festival <laughs> yeah. for a small group of people, yeah. right? Yeah. And yet, people know you. Mm -hmm. They know that you're kind. They know what you do with your days. They know where you go to church. Like... There, there is this social aspect mm -hmm. of sixes that you don't realize that you don't know much about them until the conversation is over and oh, you're gone. Yeah, so many, uh, just looking back at times when I do maybe um, go deeper, mm -hmm. get more personal, mm -hmm. um, I can think back to dozens of times where people are like, I had no clue. That, and that's a lot. I just want to make sure everybody heard dozens of times. Yeah. Because that's a lot. Yeah. People don't have a clue about aggressive numbers for a different reason. Mm -hmm. It's because they don't tell you. Right, right. They don't, they don't tell you. What do you think is the difference, the significant difference, in fives, sixes, and sevens? Think about this. Uh, strangely... I don't have a lot of fives and sevens that I'm close with. I don't know if that's strangely. Is that a, a common? That is not strange. Okay. Um, my my uh, guess would be you have more twos and nines that you're close with. Threes and nines. Threes and nines. Yeah. Okay. My closest friend who passed away 14 years ago was a seven. Probably the only reference point to that that I can really speak to um, he, the difference is like, he was fearless from what I could tell and right. from what anyone could tell. Uh, he was the life of the room and everyone knew he was the life of the room and mm -hmm. he knew he was the life of the room. And there wasn't a lot of reflection on all of that. Sure. I mean, he reflected on a lot of other things, but. And he, he was an extrovert. It sounds like. Oh yeah. Actually. Yeah. And yeah, very much so. You could, I think. 
anybody can only have so much room for so many extroverted sevens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, if everywhere you go, there's an extroverted seven as a big part of your life. Yeah. Um, fives. I mean, I'm, there are people probably friends who are fives, but I've never gotten close enough with the five to, to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And, I, that, and that's the way they'd like it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's why everybody likes it. Yeah. Right. The, the closest five I've ever been to, the five that I've been the closest to has been, uh, I had a roommate once when I was in seminary. Is that because God loves you that God gave you a five <laughs> Maybe roommate? So, perhaps. <laughs> and this is what I know about everything I know about fives. I know about him. Um, I left early. It was like a Saturday. I left early in the morning to do something. Um, left town and I wasn't coming, coming back till late at night. He was reading a thousand page theological mm-hmm. treatise on something. Mm-hmm. And the light was off because it was, the sun was out and it was bright. And I came back late that night, probably 10 or 11. He was in the same place mm-hmm. reading the book and the light was not on. Wow. And I asked him, Do you not want to turn the light on? Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, <laughs> Oh, I didn't recognize it was off. That's right. That's everything I know about a five. I know that's a lot from that from that story. And the you know you talk a lot about sevens and range of emotions. We I have quite a maybe not the biggest range of emotions, but um, much more so than than a seven. I I feel um, the highs and I feel the lows. Yeah. yeah. In my experience, and this is a reflection on the last first part of the last conversation we had, but in my experience, sixes either have two friends or they don't trust twos. Oh, twos as, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean two friends. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, <laughs> I, I, got, I have a few more than that. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm yeah. doing all right then. Right. So friends who are twos. Sixes in general have friends who are twos, but I come across sixes who say to me, I'm glad to get to know you in this context because I just don't trust twos. You have any of that? This may be the thing that I ask you to take off the table. (laughs) I don't have many two um, relationships. The one, um, one that I have had developed into a distrustful, um, let me think of a better way to word this. To, well, to, it may not be a necessary well, question. Yeah. Well, you've appropriately addressed it. So, for instance, when, Mom, you've done panels in the past, mm-hmm. you've had to rephrase the way you ask this certain question. I forget how it used to be phrased. But you would basically say, like, what number? You'd have one of each number mm-hmm. up on the panel. And you'd say, what number You know, do you have the hardest time with? Mm-hmm. Or something. Mm-hmm. And then every individual would pick out a certain instance with one human being. Yeah. And, and so they'd be like, oh my gosh, sevens, I cannot stand. Mm-hmm. It's like you're talking about one yeah, person seven. that yeah. burned you. Right, right. And so you, you address that. So I, I can, uh, I'll pause a little bit and I'll go ahead. All right, well, let me just say, let me, let me start over yeah. with that because I think it's important. Yeah. And let's see if this works better for everybody. And if not, let's just drop this And question. I do have something I think that is helpful for the conversation. I'll just try to make it in a way that I don't get emotional about it. Yeah. Yeah. Or specific about it. You know, I just like people. Mm-hmm. I like them. 
and I like all numbers. And because I live in Enneagram world, I'm curious about all numbers. One of the things in doing Enneagram work that has made me the most curious is the number of people who are sixes who have told me that it's difficult for them to trust twos. Mm -hmm. And I think that we, I, have been able to hone that difficulty down to two or three things from listening to them. And the thing that seems the most common is that we're too schmoozy and too trusting and we expect too much response too soon. Is that an experience that you've had? And one of the reasons I'm asking is because I don't know if that's an experience for people who are an eight or a nine on counterphobic mm. space. I think in looking back um, at relationships I've had with twos and in spaces I've been with twos before I knew the Enneagram, I think as a six, we watch a lot of people, like not a lot of people, but we watch a lot of persons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We see a lot of, and I think maybe intuit, intuit may not be a good word. We we we, we create a picture based mm-hmm. on what we're observing, mm-hmm. and some of it is in fact, some of it is a not. But I th- some of it's not. Um, I think I have seen unhealthy twos that I even before I had any enneagram language that I could kind of pick out their insecurities really quickly, mm-hmm. and I didn't like noticing that. And it just made me really un- uncomfortable. And I wanted them to occupy the place in a group that they needed to oc- occupy without me ruining that, if that makes sense. Well, it makes total sense because you're always worried about the group. Right. The people I know like you and probably other mutual friend we have who, who's a two, uh, and some of this is for lack of a better term, power dynamics. You're a, uh-huh. you're a person that I um, have looked it up to before I have known you. I'm also very aware of all the work that you've done, not, not just because I read it and see, see, but I intuit that and with other twos as well. Um, but I don't really approach twos often for relationship or, and I don't know why that is. The building I work in is the School of Social Work at Baylor <laughs> University. Full of them. Um, and so there's a lot of them. I'm very cordial with all of the students and, and faculty, but you're kind of naming something that I don't know what's there, but there's something there. Well, you, you said earlier, I don't remember the question, but you replied, I'm kind of confused when people are like, Oh, I've been, I was thinking about you. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that, and that's what twos do. Yeah. I was thinking about, I'm calling, I was thinking about you. Why? I I think you've unlocked something too that's that also that's helped me see what that there is. You know, I said earlier that I'm okay with not being thought about. Um, and then we talked too about how defensive I get when someone wants to get really see, deep. and this is, and I know that that it, that's where a two is all the yeah. time thinking about me. Mm-hmm. And can can we go deeper? Right. Like, that's, right. Exactly. Yeah. This is where. When appropriately used, the anagram is such a gift. Absolutely. When you can put yeah. words to it like this, and now that is how she sees the world. You know, one of the things that I think people are afraid of 
in twos that I think sixes pick up intuitively is that there is always the chance that twos are going to be cloying. I hate that word. And the reason I hate it is because I know how destructive it is when I do it. And my children recoil from it. Like they, when I get all that icky stuff going with my children since they were little, they just cannot do it. And I, I think that... Cloy- That's why we have to keep popping out grandbabies. <laughs> <laughs> so I can be cloying with them. Here's the new grandbaby. Hand to the baby. Hand to the baby. I think that there is um, a need in twos to be, I think the word is, to have their interest in you be affirmed. And if you can affirm a two's interest in you, I think they can stop. Hmm. You know, I'm aware that when somebody gives me a little something, then I'm good. But boy, there's a part of me that just chases, that just, uh, uh, oh, well, I, I got to go figure that out. Or I said the wrong thing. Or I didn't say enough. Or I, and that's because I'm relational all the time. Well, and it, that's 100% true. You know, when the phone call comes, if it's greeted with, Hey, thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how are you doing? Yeah. It's good to talk to you. Versus, what what do you need? Uh, you know, doing it the uh, responding the other way with what do you need? Huh. Why are you yeah. calling? Is going to get a Making second phone the assumption call. That that yeah. yeah. I was going to ask how you know how to affirm that in a two because if my I'm closest with threes. If they called me and asked how I was doing, I would feel, oh, this, I feel really special. Mm-hmm. And probably a five as well in, in other numbers. For two calls, it seems like part of the routine. So I was going to ask, how do you affirm that in the same way that you would affirm it to a three who called and said they were checking on you? I think you flip, I think you affirm it by what Joel just said. You flip the conversation. Hmm. I'm doing good. Thanks for checking. How are you? And then a two will tell you. And I think sometimes twos reach out to sixes hmm. because nobody else will listen to them. Right? Yep. So you verbally process and I verbally process. I don't live with people who have a great appreciation for verbal processing. Mm-hmm. So I don't generally have an agenda. I'm looking for a conversation. And when I'm healthy. But it feels like y'all can see the cloying part of me like a little spirit on my shoulder or something that you, that people back up from. Like, uh. Well, a mood ring. I don't see that in you, but I'm sure <laughs> someone who knows you more might. 30 years. I think people, you know, I don't, this isn't a special relationship that we have. People that are in relationship, oh, okay. like intimate, yeah. close relationships with twos over a long period of time. Like, like anyone, like any number in any yeah. relationship can see where they're at. That just happens to be the situation with twos. Yeah. And that's the gift of the Enneagram is that you have that in your mind for the people that you're closest to mm-hmm. and it's not a deal breaker anymore. So now that we talked about how to approach me, what's the best way to approach you? In uh, just friendship or? Sure. In or, any, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to go with, I know to leave you alone at church, but after <laughs> church, like outside of church, what's the best way? If I work with you. How do I read the boundary? Because, you know, twos don't have any boundaries. Right, right. So unless they're doing their work, I get that that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of writing. I 
have a blog. I am on social media a little bit. Well, do, do you mind telling people how to get to your blog? Because I think sixes would love, love, love right. to know they're reading a six blog. Got you. So um, I created, so I've blogged several, you know, over the years, uh, many different things. But I, I wrote a book a few years ago that ended up um, being published for a small small publishing company that uh, the publishing company kind of closed its doors. and But even before that and now after it, it's, it's up on the blog. And, and the book I've heard people say is a very six book. It's about my relationship with my church and kind of the history of it. Uh, it's titled 17thanddutton.com, which is probably, now that I think about it, a very six title because it's the exact address of where... Uh, the church building is is located. The website is 17dutton.com, 17, the numerals, D-U-T-T-O-N.com. Uh, and I, uh, because I, there's a long story behind the writing and, and what precipitated it and the space I had was given to write it. But I feel most honored when someone that I don't know or someone that I kind of know tells me, oh, I read this piece of yours and I appreciate how thoughtful that was. Or um, this is even more, and you, as a writer, you, and a, a dependent stance writer as well, you probably get the same thing. When I hear people say, you gave words to something that I didn't, wasn't able to give words to, for me, I'm kind of emotional jelly <laughs> at that, at that yeah, point. Cause, right. What's the term that you were just given by Brian? You're a like a a reader's author or something. Yes. When, yeah. Yes. You know, I, I watched that. Yeah. yeah it was on so, the live yeah. thing. Yeah, and Brian actually plays a big part in the story of our church and and then and then the book I wrote as well. So that's uh, interesting that you brought him up. Um, We're talking about Brian McLean. Yeah, Brian just McLaren. so everybody knows. So that's that's a little, probably a little bit of a three thing, like to be recognized and noticed and accomplished for something. But I think also that kind of compliment um, recognizes how much thought I've put into something rather than, oh, you're nice or you're loyal or, you mm-hmm. know, it's like acknowledging maybe a little bit more of the core of who I am. That's Now there I think we found a common theme among fives, sixes, and sevens. Hmm. Certainly fives and sixes, I can see this. Well, sevens yeah. for sure too because people think they're just, Clowns, right? Like I, the core of who sevens are is a much deeper stream than people frequently yeah. get to. Well, I think I kind of agree with him that in this scenario, your feeling center is supporting the thinking and like a five. So mm-hmm. when you've put that much energy in your thoughts and put it on paper mm-hmm. and done that, then the, the feelings are good about that. That's a thing. Yeah. And and I also would say that I think uh most sixes don't feel listened to. And if people read your blog, you feel heard. However, you know, I'm sure, that most sixes are not going to blog. Right. Not yep. they're not going to put it out there, which is why I'm so excited about that, that's, that people will have that to read. I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, you will be 
able to walk in the door next weekend for our cohort if you have a copy of that book to put in my hand. Otherwise, it's iffy. I may have one copy of that book <laughs> I'll left, take it. And I've been saving it for the right person. I hope it's and me. And it is yours. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. I hope it's me. I have two questions to ask, if that's all right. Sure. One, one is more for you. We're talking about feelings. And I started thinking myself first about where am I at in my <laughs> journey of dealing with feelings. And it's, it is what it is, is the easy way to get out of that. It's improved a great deal. My question is, can one have feelings without the emotions? Wow, that's good. Because I... Yes. I think that's what I've been striving for, but I feel like I'm taking... Is that me trying to take the easy way out? Like, I, I'm fine. I'm starting to try to acknowledge my feelings more, but I also, I don't want to start getting worked up and cry about it. I don't want to... I think a three would definitely answer that question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cause, because the, the feelings come later, and it's usually divorced from emotion. I know there's a lot of language there that probably would need to be parsed out, but yeah. The <laughs> well, between, for my yeah. for my listeners, I define feelings as internal, okay, and emotions as external expressions mm, of internal feelings. And I do have feelings that I don't express as emotions, and I do have feelings that I express as emotions that don't represent the true feelings. Mm. Can you say that again? Yeah. I often feel hurt, but the emotion that I express is anger. Whereas for a counterphobic six, um, we are expressing anger, but it's fear. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And so there would be some work for us to do then in Enneagram world with what is the feeling and what gets expressed. Mm -hmm. And yep. sometimes it's the appropriate emotion that matches the feeling, but sometimes it's the it's the easy handoff. Yeah. I think the gift of Enneagram, but also just growing, is people who have done life with me, this is probably a gift to them to hear whatever happened 10, 15, 20 years ago, oh, he was expressing uh, fear and yeah. not, not yeah. anger. Yeah, yeah. That kind of, that phrase leads me to my second question, uh, expressing anger, but it's fear. I know this has been true for me personally uh, in relationship with sixes or a couple of sixes in my life where I, and mom, you've taught this, when a six gets crossed, like there's no coming back from that, it, it seems. Like when... You, you yes, yeah. Let me, so let me ask you about that a little bit. So I want to talk about the continuum again, and I want us to identify again that if we have a phobic to counterphobic continuum and it's zero to ten, that you're an eight or nine on the counterphobic end. It is overwhelmingly and surprisingly my experience that sixes forgive. They do not set aside or forget. And that they protect themselves with carrying memories of hurt that are long past. Is yep. that true for you? Very, very true. Only recently have I 
worked on that. It's taken work. Uh, do you think for both of us it's because of chaining? Yes. Um, now, I, yeah. I f- kind of move on. Like, I forgive and move on. Yeah. I don't. But if you hurt me again. Sure. I, I, can, I can follow the chain. Yeah. I, um, in my past, I have done a really good job at forgiving people. Um, for situations that um, were were both of our uh-huh. things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- those are usually easier when I can tell. Oh, I contributed to this a little bit as well. And do you bring up thinking to do that? You bring up productive thinking to be able to do that. Yes, and that takes a lot of time. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, I'm thinking of a particular instance where you know I, and this is a relationship that I'm still very much in. Uh-huh. And it's weird because every now and then I, I come to a point to where I think, you know, the forgiving part happened a long time ago. And I think it's over time. And I think you have to stay in relationship with that person. And it has to be a person that you can stay in relationship with. It's a little bit like not time heals all wounds, but time definitely spreads out the thoughts of thinking about that thing. So now I get oh, so now good. I get to a point to where in the early days after forgiving I'm like okay I'm really going to work on moving on. Mm-hmm. Um and it would be a moving on for 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Um and now it's a maybe every 10 weeks. Uh-huh. I'll think about it and I'll have to catch myself and this is actually all written in the book that I, that I wrote. So, and I suspect that if I keep doing work, that in five years, it might be a once or twice a year thing that, that I think about. Do you think that's a triad thing when you said talk about it needs space, it, yep. it needs time when, when you and I get in a fight, you know, she wants to she she wants us to be good when the fight is over. Right. I'm like, we're not good. Yeah. This just happened. We will be good. Yep. Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But like right now, this is really fresh. And and for um for that to happen with me, I have to know that that person is in it with me as well. Mm-hmm. That that they'll be there tomorrow. Ten years from now, when it's there, if they're gonna get tired of the now, it's every two days, mm-hmm. then this probably isn't going to work. So I, w- I want to talk about that spacing farther between the events. Is that mm-hmm. what you said? Or between the thoughts? The thoughts, I think. More space between the thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think a real uh, hole in my teaching is that I've not done the work to figure out how we break chaining. I, I'm real good at teaching that, that we chain, Yeah. but I, I somehow, I guess have kind of a cavalier attitude about, so get used to it. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) And that's not, you know, clearly it is a spiritual practice for us to not chain everything to everything. Is that what you're talking about when you talk about that space? Yeah. And it may be that sixes are most prone to chaining. I don't know if this is a one, two, six thing, correct? Yeah. I could give you a run for your money, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder about the tools that the Enneagram gives sixes to 
do productive thinking uh -huh. that might be, at least for sixes, I don't know what it would be for ones and twos, that even though we're very prone to chaining, we mm -hmm. might also have some tools hidden within more so than other numbers who don't change, so that might not be an issue. Well, more but, so than ones, I yeah. think more so than ones and twos now that you've said it, yeah. because you're thinking dominant and yeah. thinking repressed. Yeah. And I just, ha I literally have to pack a bag to come to thinking. Right, yeah. So when I'm doing productive thinking, I can come to a point to where I look back and say, this thing was also me, uh -huh. not just them. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot more of me than I then and even now want to admit. And maybe right. 10 years from now, I'll come to a point through good thinking where I, and I think I have come, I think I have come to a point to where I can identify things mm -hmm. better than I could before. You know, I feel really good about the kind of handed down talk style. That's not all, it's not original to me, the talk style for each number. But um, I, I struggle a little bit with uh, yours. Like mine is, as a two, my talk style is definitely help and advice. There's, there's no, like, I help people who Joel is pointing out to me do not want my help. And it's making it worse when I try to help them. But I'm, I'm not sure about group thought for counterphobic sixes. I, I feel real good about it for phobic sixes. But do you think that there's another another thing once we cross the line between phobic and counterphobic that defines your talk style? Talk style for twos is help and advice. Mm -hmm. So when people that I do not know are trying to find Raisin Bran in the grocery store, I help them. I help them so that they will want me. You might help them out of a sense that it's for the common good because mm -hmm. you know where the this is what we do. Is. This is how in a, in a society, this is the way yeah. to be in our world, yeah. right? But you don't need anything back. You prefer to show them the raisin brand and move on. Right. And after that moment, I feel like I have boosted society in some way. Like I'm not thinking about, I'm glad I helped that person. It's like the world's a better place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Collectively. Yeah. Right, right. Better for the collect than for yeah. me. Right. Yeah. So the talk style that is, handed down traditionally in Enneagram wisdom for sixes is group thought, mm -hmm. meaning that they talk about what the group thinks. Yeah. I'm not sure that fits phobic sixes. I think I, I, I'm looking back to organizations and groups I've been in, and I think uh, within maybe close groups of, like smaller groups of, say, in leadership, I am the devil's advocate even if it's not for the good of the group, like what about this person or what about this person? Or, But for the m most part, I think I do talk most about the group, after, the collective. Yeah. After you've taken your stand. Yes. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Got it. That's very helpful to me. That will make my teaching better. Although it has been hard for me in, in the past in certain situations um, to do this kind of institutional thing, especially in churches where when there's disagreement among leadership mm -hmm. of um, saying, well, we're going to all agree, even though you don't all agree with this, that kind of thing where you're, we're going to put up a united front. That's very difficult for me. And that might be a counterphobic thing. thing. Yeah. And I'm comfortable saying this is what we have decided to do. Right. But I'm even more comfortable letting everyone know 
but we we also recognize that there's some issues with right. this. Good. Um, yeah. That's helpful. Like, I'm a big fan of just transparency yeah. when it comes to, like, I want to know what's in every, at a church or an organization, mm -hmm. I want the boardrooms to be full of glass and with microphones all over the place. And if there's not, I feel like you're probably hiding something. Or We had a conversation um, a few days ago about uh, appropriate ways to talk to different numbers hmm. if you are trying to get them to to buy into your way of seeing the future. How, how is the respectful, appropriate way to talk to every number, not just how you would say it, because that's how you could hear it, yeah. right? And I, I, I think that's a very complex thing to enter into, but I think the reason I love the podcast, the reason I love doing this, is because I would have never said the things you said the way you say them. And I know a lot about sixes. But that articulation of how you see the world is only your number can do it. I, I think that's a fact. I'm saying now, and I, am, I believe it, and I'm building on it a little bit, that there is free-falling anxiety and anger everywhere. And I, I actually picked up free-falling from quoting Merton for years, saying that Merton says that there's free-falling mercy everywhere falling upon us again and again and again. Do you agree that there is free-falling anxiety and anger everywhere? Do you pick it up, and how is it affecting you? You asked me earlier, and this might be your next question, what I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. And I have thought about this a little bit, uh, particularly in our world and in the last three years. <laughs> Um, we can all put whatever spin on that. We yeah, want spin to. We, we sure. want. Um, and I think for a while I bought into the, the fear that society is very fearful. And I, I think that may be true, but the more we go <laughs> into this, I start to wonder, is this actually angst that's less anxiety and more dark? <laughs> um, there's just a lot of cruelty. Yes. That, um, fearful people can be cruel because they're protecting themselves, like, you know, like almost an animalistic sure. type thing. But this feels different than a I'm being cruel because I'm protecting mm -hmm. myself. Feels calculated to me. Yes. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I may come back next week and say, no, it really is fear. Mm -hmm. And I use the word animalistic, so maybe it is kind of primal within us. That um, Sure makes me want to work with the word angst. Yeah, because it, it's derivative of, you know, it and anxiety are kind of connected, right. but it's a little different. It's a, it's a different it's thing, It's stronger, though. it's yeah. more aggressive, and maybe this is a counterphobic thing as well. But I do feel the language of free falling mm -hmm. <laughs> almost. Mm -hmm. um, the, the lyric I quoted just really resonates with me. Boy, I love um, that. Uh, you got to give me a minute because I'm way down in it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. All right, my last question. What are you hopeful about? As a uh, loyalist who has a small group of very close friends, mm -hmm. uh, I have a vacation coming up with them that we've been planning for months and months and months. And it's, 
uh, college friends who uh, live all across the country, uh, from Washington to Kansas City to Texas to Tennessee. Um, I'm really hopeful just for that time to be with them and people who know me. And, sure. Um, that was the first thing that came came to my mind. I think in light of all the things I said before that, uh, and also the thing I said before that, you know, six is love when things are brought to light. Mm-hmm. I think there is a bringing to light of a lot of things. I, I'm not very charismatic. In fact, a lot of that kind of scares me off. But uh, I'm I'm really into the writings on social media of Jonathan Martin. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. him or have spoken with But a lot of the things he's written about things coming to light and things being revealed mm-hmm. and how it is really hard at the beginning, it paves the way for you know, to use theological language, paves the way for the kingdom to come in a a better, more full way. Um, I'm hopeful for that, that the darkness is uh, not permanent. Well, I'm so glad I know you. I am glad I know you. I um, thank you for this time. Yeah, I hope it's not lost on anybody that you're an introverted six who drove for an hour and a half. To share yourself with folks. It's a lot of time to be alone, an hour and a half. (laughs) Well, here's what I got for you. On the hour and a half back, don't you second guess any of this. It's pure (laughs) gold. Pure gold. So just plug in some music because this is gold. That will be hard to do, but I will will work on it. All right. Thanks. Thanks.